let me invite you to open up God's Word with me today to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 today, continuing our trek in this portion of the Bible, this important instruction, this teaching from our Savior, from the Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, our text for today is verses 14, 15, and 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for your word, or your word of truth. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you and being reconciled to you through him. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now. Speak to us now through the presence, guidance of your Holy Spirit for the glory of your name. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus says, you're salt and you're light. Highlighting the function of believers, of Christ's followers, of disciples in the world. Images showing that Jesus intends to influence the world through his people by the distinctiveness of his people in the particular places that he's put them. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a British evangelist and preacher and pastor of the uh, the uh, late 19th and early 20th century, reflected on this text. He said, although Jesus spoke to his own, meaning his own people, his disciples, the multitudes were ever in his sight and on his heart. The, the law of the kingdom is for such as have submitted to the king, but they are able, but, but they are to be governed by that law in order that they may become the means of blessing to the multitudes beyond. Salt is needed where there is corruption. Light is needed where there is darkness. You see, Jesus has blessed us, church, that we might be a blessing to the multitudes and to the masses, to the world. In the very places, in the particular places that he has set us. We are gospel witnesses in the place, in the places Christ has put us. We are gospel witnesses in the places Christ has put us. That's what Jesus is saying here. Saved to shine the light of salvation. Rescued to be living testimonies of the rescuing heart of God. Jesus says, you are my plan to show the world God's glory. And so with the crowds nearby, we're told that there were many folks gathered, the crowds following Jesus, they're gathered to hear this, uh, to, to be around Jesus, and, and Jesus begins instructing them. With the, with the crowds nearby, Jesus gazes into the eyes of his disciples, no doubt, and he says to them, you are the light of the world. I mean, can, can you picture this small group of 
ragtag folks with unimpressive resumes. A former fisherman from Galilee. A tax collector hated by his fellow Jews for patting his own pockets while serving the Romans. And several other uh, nobodies in the eyes of the world willing to follow and learn from this rabbi from the little town of Nazareth. Jesus says, you guys are it. Y'all are the light of the world. And once again, it's an emphatic you. You and you alone are the light of the world. And what the Savior says to them, church, is equally true of us. And every follower of Jesus Christ, every man, woman, boy, and girl who has repented of sin and put their faith in Jesus for salvation, Christians alone are the light of the world. Christians alone are the light of the world. Called by Jesus to influence the world. Jesus is saying, you are God's plan to influence the world for good and for God. You are it. In the world, but not of the world. Sent to the world, but not to love the world. So distinct that if we're following Christ, the world can't help but notice something different about us. That's what Jesus is saying. I have to confess to you this morning, I'm a a bit of a pyro. Uh, I love to build a fire. Uh, And, you know, it's still pretty warm outside, but um, that little taste of fall weather this week, I just had to build a fire in the fire pit outside. so, So I did. And as I was gathered around that fire pit, it was closing in on on dark, and my boys were there with me, and I began thinking to myself, I, I, I sort of don't know if I want all the neighbors to see this. They're going to think I'm a little crazy building a fire. It's still 80 degrees outside. But as it gets dark, there's no hide, no hiding the fire. You, you see the flame glowing, lighting up the area around the fire in the darkness of night. It penetrates the night. Like, like a fire, like a lamp. Jesus says, you are the light. Don't hide the light. Don't mask the salt. Don't be a secret saint. Just follow me and I'll show my glory and my grace through you. And so there are my boys and it's around the fire. And um, as boys do, they, they suddenly realize it'd be fun to make a torch. And so they begin finding long sticks and holding them in the flame and seeing how long it takes for that dead stick to begin glowing when they pull it out of the fire. And sure enough, if you put it in the flame long enough, it begins to glow. Not because of anything in the stick on its own, but because it's been in the flame. And in the same way, when it comes to being the light of the world, Jesus is saying, the Bible is teaching that our light derives from Christ, the true light. Our light derives from Christ, the true light. We we are only the light of the world because we know the one who is the light of the world. It doesn't originate in us. It's not of us, but it's of him. He's the source. The one who elsewhere says, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the true light and the source of our light. So that whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but 
we'll have the light of life. Friend, do you know the light of life? Do you know the one who is the light of the world? Are you, are you following him? See, our, our light derives from being in relationship with him. It derives only from knowing him. We, we don't produce the light, but like the moon reflects the light of the sun, so believers, so Christians, living like Christians, reflect the light of the sun of God. Christians alone are the light of the world, meaning we've not always been what we are now. There was a time in each of our lives when the Savior had not yet equipped us to function as salt and light in a dark and decaying world because we were once living in darkness. We were once living in darkness. I was saying about that just moments ago. We were once living in darkness. Every now and then I've asked someone about their faith, faith, and someone will respond with, in this way, saying something like, I've always been a Christian. And I just sort of grew up in the church and heard about Jesus. I've always believed. I've never not considered myself to be a, a, a Christian. The reality is none of us were born in Christ. None of us were born as little lights. None of us were born without sin. This is why Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 5, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So Paul is saying we we weren't simply living in darkness, but that we were darkness. Meaning our entire existence prior to faith in Jesus was defined by darkness. We did not live for Christ. We did not give God glory. We we lived for self and for self-glory. And the world continues to live that way because the world remains in darkness. The world remains in in darkness. So the reason the light shines is because the world is dark, meaning it's lost. It's immoral. It's blind. It's depraved and blind to its own depravity. To say the world is in spiritual darkness is to acknowledge the whole world is in rebellion against God. John says it this way. He says in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The light of the world has come. Jesus has come. Light has come into the world. People didn't want much to do with the light. They'd rather remain in the dark because their deeds were evil. As physical darkness impairs our vision, so spiritual darkness impairs our moral vision, warping our entire way of thinking. Pastor Phil Newton reflects piercingly on this text. He says, and so a man joins organizations that go to great lengths to protect snail darters or endangered fish or certain species of animals, but then supports the abortion of an unborn child. In his mind, A snail or a mouse or a whale has as much value as a human being that has been made in the image of God. His thinking is warped by darkness. He shakes shakes his head in disgust over the gunning down of innocent people and 
then plugs in his music that advocates killing, immorality, and drugs, or sits down to three hours of nonstop violence in front of the television. Darkness has blinded his ability to see his own hypocrisy. A politician having an affair with an intern or a serial rapist being released from prison appalls him. But then he sits down in front of a screen and indulges his mind in pornography. Darkness has twisted his thinking so that he has no objective standard of morality or a sense of approaching judgment. Church, this is what darkness does. This is what being in the dark does. Darkness impairs vision. And the only solution to the darkness is the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Well, friends, the, the gospel of Jesus transfers people out of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. Peter would say it this way in First Peter chapter 2. He'd say to believers, he'd say, but you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the call out of darkness only happens as people begin to see themselves as they really are, as sinners with wicked hearts in need of a savior. You see, when Jesus says that his disciples are the light of the world, he's saying that he intends the lives of his people, that he intends the lives of his followers to help unbelievers see themselves as they really are. In other words, Jesus intends our lives to reveal purity, righteousness, and truth. Jesus intends for our lives to reveal purity, righteousness, and truth. In the Bible, light implies at different places several different things. One of the things that light implies is purity. I think Jesus is suggesting here that those who know the Lord live distinct lives of moral purity and righteousness when compared to the rampant immorality that plagues the rest of the world. Certainly doesn't mean that we're without sin, but a distinctive way of living. Those who, who live for Him live a distinct life, and only the Holy Spirit can bring about such change. Again, this is not of us. The Holy Spirit can do this. He can and He does. And Jesus is suggesting that as He does, the world will notice. The world will see. Light implies purity. One of the other things that light implies in the Scriptures is knowledge. Of the truth. Sometimes we use the expression, I've seen the light. Knowledge of the truth. What we believe to be true impacts what we do. Impacts our way of living. In other words, those who know the truth of the gospel are no longer directed by carnal impulses or fleeting feelings, but by the very word of the living God. And as is the case, when is the case, the world will notice. Jesus intends our lives to reveal purity, righteousness, and truth in ways that expose the darkness of human hearts that have not yet turned to him. 
And if our lives reveal this kind of glad submission to Jesus, kind of joyful following of Christ, this kind of distinct and holy living that is the overflow of faith in him, then some, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, will get angry and oppose us. But others, like the Samaritan woman in Jesus' day, upon sensing their sinful predicament by encountering Jesus, will give glory to God. So Paul says, Christian, live as children of light. Live out your identity in Christ. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. In other words, what does it mean to live as, a, as children of light? It means to live a life of submission to the Lord, a life that strives to honor the Lord. Find out what glorifies the King and strive to walk in that way. We're to be little lights, living, breathing, walking examples of God's transformative power in raising sinners from the dead and giving them new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus intends our lives to reveal reveal purity, righteousness, and truth right where God has put us. Right where he's put us. Right where he's set us. Where has God put you? What was the path that he's taken you on? What were the people that he's put in Your life, in the past, in the present, we trust Him in the future. Who who are the people that God has put you around to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever been around someone who just displayed an unexplainable peace? A joy in the midst of chaos. A comfort in in the midst of heartache, a calm in the midst of a storm, an otherworldly perspective on life. It's a privilege to be around someone like that just this week, this past week. A member of our faith family, I won't mention her name because she would hate having the attention on, on her. But someone who's going through a particularly difficult season right now. Much pain, hardship. Not just every now and then, but every day. Day after day after day. Not not given a whole lot of hope for things to get better here. And yet even so, displaying a calm, a peace that surpasses all understanding. A comfort in the midst of pain. A joy in Christ in the midst of chaos that can only come from from knowing Him. You see, Jesus intends our lives to shine for the glory of His name just in that way. He intends our lives to reveal the truth about Him, to reveal purity and righteousness and truth where God has put us for the glory of the One who saved us. For the glory of the One who saved us. You see, our lives aren't really about us, not ultimately. Certainly not our glory, not our achievements or accomplishments or accolades. 
But even so, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now we know good deeds don't gain us entrance into heaven. It goes against everything the scriptures teach. It goes against the very heart of the gospel. Good deeds don't gain us a ticket into heaven. But good deeds do begin to flow from those who know they've graciously received citizenship in heaven. So what are good deeds? Well, good deeds or good works are, are works of love. Are the works of kindness? Or works of gentleness and humility? Like befriending the down and out, like that of standing up for the vulnerable, like that of forgiving the one who's wronged you, like that of serving your neighbor in need. I think the Bible is saying here, Jesus is saying here that good works are attractive because they're not self-centered, but they're others serving. And the ones that really practice them do so because they know the true servant king. And somehow we've got to reconcile what Jesus is saying right here with what he's about to say in chapter 6, verse 1, when he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness or your good deeds in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. And then he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Some have heard this statement in chapter 6, verse 1, and the instructions that follow and concluded that good works are just between God and me. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is warning about self-glory, self-glorification, not deeds done for the glory of God, not deeds done for God's glory. In other words, it's not about the location of the good works in public or in private, but it's about the motivation for doing them solely Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone, about following Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, let your little light shine. Let your little light shine. Live for me. Follow me that others might see the way that you live and give glory to God. Church, we are witnesses. We are gospel witnesses in the places Christ has put us. So what are we to do? How then should we live or think in light of this truth? There's one command in the text. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Friend, could you be included in the you of you are the light of the world? Are you a disciple of Christ? Have you gone from spiritual death to spiritual life in the Lord Jesus Christ by turning from sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So embrace your distinct identity as salt and light. Embrace your distinct identity identity as salt and light. Jesus says to us, 
This is who you are. This is who you are. You are mine. Rescued by God's grace and welcomed into God's everlasting kingdom. I've put my mark on you and I call you my own. And because you are mine, you are my plan to impact the world. So the world will be drawn to me. You are my gospel witnesses. As we think about what Jesus is saying here, as we think about the images of salt and light, being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, incredibly, Jesus is saying there's there's a beauty about the lives of his people that makes the gospel appealing to the world. In other words, this text isn't so much about being armed uh, with a gospel presentation. As important as that is, as helpful as that is, it's not a Romans road or three circles or other tools that we find helpful in that way. This text is not so much about a gospel presentation as it is about genuine gospel living in the very places God has put us. We are witnesses in the places Christ has put us. Illuminating the beauty of Christ and the truth of the gospel with our lips. By what we say, speaking the truth of the gospel. And with our very lives. And Jesus is saying, as you do, they will see. As you do, your neighbors will notice. As you do, that coworker who pushes the boundaries and just gets on your nerves will see. A classmate that sits silently in the back of the room will notice. And some of these, this is what Jesus is saying, some of these will be drawn to me as my light shines in you. So church, embrace your distinct identity as salt and light and embrace your role as witness where Jesus has placed you. Embrace your role as a witness where Jesus has placed you. Here's what it boils down to. Is your life a good argument for the gospel? Is your life a demonstration before a watching world of God's plan to rescue the lost, to save the perishing? To give them new and eternal life in Him. What part of your life, what part of my life needs to be polished so that His light is more clearly seen in us? Is the light of Christ shining on your street because you live there? Is there a gospel witness on your team, in your salon, at your coffee shop or in your office because the light of the world has put you there to walk in humility, to stand upon the truth, to love your neighbor and to speak the goodness of his grace. Church, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds And glorify your Father 
in heaven. And, oh God, we pray that you would work in our lives to bring these truths to reality, to impress them deep upon our hearts and on our minds so that we might reflect the riches of your grace. Father, so that we might walk according to your ways, so that we might live lives that are genuine gospel witnesses to your mercy, to your kindness, to your plan to save the lost. To save the lost in Meadowbrook and in Birmingham, across Alabama and the U.S. of A. and among the nations of the world. Father, use us how you see fit. Father, impress the truths of your gospel, the privilege of certainly being yours and being your representatives. Father, we pray that you would impress that deep down within us that we might believe it, that we might depend upon you, and that we might walk in faithfulness to you for the glory of your name. God, even now, lead us to respond, confessing our sins before you, confessing where we have not lived this way. And believe in the truth of your gospel and the presence of your spirit, your spirit's transformative power in the lives of your people, to take our thoughts captive and to change our, our lives so that we walk according to your will. Lord, lead us in these ways for the glory of Jesus. Lord, be glorified in our singing, be glorified in our praying, be glorified in our confessing. Father, be glorified in our giving, be glorified in our going, be glorified in our living. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.